We're happy to participate, share our opinions on items related to research, conferences, newsletters, to assist people impacted by brain injury. I'm Dr. Erica Weber, a research scientist in the Center for Traumatic Brain Injury Research here at Kessler Foundation, and I'm joined today by Joe and Jane Kincato, and we just wanted to first congratulate you on your award, your Volunteer Service Champions by the BIA&J, so congratulations to, to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Your journey with brain injury uh, developed really from a, from a personal story. Would you mind sharing with us a bit about how you got involved in the brain injury community? My wife, Jane, had an accidental fall at home on March 15, 2004. At that point, after the required calls to 911 and everything else, she was admitted to the Hackensack University Trauma Center, where she spent approximately four weeks going through acute care and the beginning portions of rehabilitation. From there, she was transferred to Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in East Orange, where she spent another four weeks of inpatient rehabilitation, and then approximately 18 months of outpatient rehabilitation. So it's been uh, now, is that 16 years? Am I doing my math right? Yes. That's quite a long time and a long journey. How have you been doing, Jane? I've been doing well. I've really... As I say, I've come back very well. I have some deficits. My speech isn't that great. I have anomia. I miss, I, I forget words. I had speech therapy for a while and I have anxiety, post-traumatic stress, and a little more depression than I probably had before my brain injury, which really wasn't a lot, but now it's definitely more. Yeah. So it sounds like you've had a number of challenges since since that fall, but it sounds like you were able to get right into to getting some, some good quality care. And, and you said you've come back quite a ways since your, yes. your first injury. Yeah. Wow. And I bet that wasn't the easiest road. No, there's been a, a lot of good and a lot of bad. The bad things, I'm not even going to say, but I, I guess they're common after brain injury. You lose friends. You know who your true friends are. I've had some falls. I have a uh, a balance issue. I've I've had seizures. Um, so now I'm on a seizure medication. But we've had really some of the greatest times of our lives now. So it sounds like it's it's been really helpful that you could see that even though there's been been those challenges and struggles that have come since your brain injury, that you can also see positive changes that have been able to happen in your life. Definitely. What made you take this personal experience that could be considered negative by by many and and turn it into something that made you want to give back to the community? How did you start getting involved in volunteering? We both come from a family of volunteers in the emergency services in our local towns, and uh, we still volunteer to this day. As Jane was an inpatient at Kessler Rehabilitation, I was informed of support groups that existed at the time. And when Jane was an inpatient, I never really went because that was my opportunity to spend time with her in the evening. And I don't remember the specific time frame. At some point after we were home, but still in touch with the folks at Kessler for case management and everything else, 
we decided to start attending the Essex County Support Group. And I think that came from our volunteer efforts. And we started to understand more about brain injury, realize that there were other people going through similar things, sharing some of our stories and learning from others. So you benefited from the support groups that you ended up down the road, ended up leading. Uh, Absolutely. What did you find uh, most helpful about those support groups? Knowing that other people were going through the same things, knowing that we what we were experiencing was not out of the ordinary for someone with a brain injury, learning about organizations and resources that were out there to assist, such as the Brain Injury Alliance of New Jersey. I specifically wanted to go back to Kessler and East Orange. I wanted to see how the survivors that were in my cognitive therapy group I wanted to see if they'd be there, and many of them were in the support group, and talk to them again and see how they were doing. So it was a social connection yes. for you, and I'm sure it, at that time, who you were meeting on the rehabilitation unit, that you probably spent a lot of time together undergoing the same types of rehab and going through similar therapies, and being able to maintain those connections that were forged in in the context of a tragedy. Definitely. I always considered my, uh, my cognitive remediation group, there, there were usually about 12 of us in a room in the morning, and we'd get teased out for specific therapies. I always consider that group as my first support group because I did learn things from other people, and everybody was kind, and it was, it was good. I didn't want to go, but I did, and then I went. That's not uncommon because initially it's scary to jump in there and be able to share your story and be open to hearing other people's stories, especially if you know it might it might be something that's sad or bring out those those tough emotions in yourself. But it sounds like you were able to get up the courage to go and open yourselves up to that experience and find out that it could be very helpful. Yeah, I would recommend it to anybody and I would do it again if I had to. So you were a member of the support group through BIA and J for a number of years, and then more recently ended up um, leading it. Is that right? Yes. After we started attending the Essex group, we learned of a separate group in Bergen, which was really around the corner from where we live. So we thought with all the benefits we were receiving from Essex, we started attending the Bergen group also and got the same benefits uh, out of it with a different set of people and little different circumstances, but still the same overall issues, understandings, and everything else. And isn't it amazing that just uh, being able to hear, to get a a different group of, of individuals, you hear similar types of stories, but you can get different perspectives or different ideas of things to try in your own home. Uh, Absolutely. There were always new ideas coming from uh, everyone in the group. After we started attending the Bergen Group for uh, approximately a year, there was a neuropsychologist who was facilitating it, and she realized that she couldn't facilitate it again because she was starting a practice and a family. So she approached us to see if we'd be willing to take over the facilitation of the group on a temporary basis. I immediately agreed to. Jane questioned at the time, but that temporary basis started in January of 2007. Quite a long time ago at this point. It it certainly was. Depends on your definition of temporary. 
Sounds more like uh, you, you did too good of a job for it to stay temporary. We love doing it. We embraced it. It's even more than an extended family. It's just family. And what is the group doing now during the pandemic? Or I imagine you can't meet in person anymore. Uh, that's correct. We're not meeting in person anymore. Uh, we have started online virtual groups. Oh, fantastic. We missed the March meeting just because of timing and everything else that was going on. Uh, but we had a virtual group on the normal night of our April meeting. Uh, had approximately 30 people uh, on the video conference. And it went very well. Before everyone dispersed, we raised the option of having another one in two weeks as opposed to once a month. And everyone thought that was a great idea. So at this point, we're having two online virtual meetings a month as opposed to one, just for everyone to stay in touch, to share stories, to see one another with the video conference and everything else. So you found that it worked so well that it was it was beneficial to to even to not only continue the meetings but to up their frequency. And I I bet it was nice to to be able to see people that you you find comfort in and who can understand what's going on with you right now. Yes, certainly from our perspective and that's what we heard from everyone else who participated in the virtual session. Well, that's fantastic. I think it's um, definitely been one of the stories of this pandemic that people are realizing how how to get in touch with people who uh, either might be living further away or when you have some challenges and being able to get out of the house. And that, that does often happen after brain injury, that transportation can be a problem um, due to being unable to drive or needing to work around different schedules. So it sounds like this has actually been a change that could make it more accessible in the future for, for members of the support group. Absolutely. We haven't broached this subject yet, but, but I can see the possibility of moving forward, having a regular face-to-face -face meeting as we normally do, mm -hmm. but maybe on some other night during the month, having an online meeting just for people who... Uh, may not have been able to make the meeting for any number of reasons or people who don't normally come out because they have issues driving or any other scenario. That sounds like a, a great idea. The support group is is lucky to have you you both at the helm and it sounds like you're you bring a unique perspective by being able to to speak from experience but then also being able to be um to be able to hear other people's experience and facilitate that at a group level. So I think that's it's definitely a, a skill set that um, that is, is clearly prized by the community. We're happy to do it. I know you both as our frequent flyers uh, research participants, so we're always grateful to have you in our research studies. And you also come in for other sorts of roles as well. Could you tell me a bit about those other roles that you have with us? I am part of the IRB, the Institutional Review Board. We meet once a month at the foundation. We read studies to make sure they are appropriate. Right. So that's our, our, ethics, our ethics review board to make sure that all the research studies are being conducted right. and everything's above board. And we always have um, a consumer on uh, someone from the community on each of those. So, and it's great to have someone fill that role so we understand that things are being conducted in terms of our research from a 
a perspective that is uh, appropriate from the consumer standpoint. At first, I didn't think I could do it. I had to take a test. I had to read a lot of online Mm -hmm. questions and answers. Yeah, they probably had you go through... Right, going through a lot of the uh, the training that we we get as scientists as well about yes. um, all of the important research principles. The principles, yes. Making sure that people mm-hmm, that they can uh, maintain their independence. Right, and I and I, I my reading comprehension it's gotten a lot better. It was very difficult, and of course, I called up the person who had not nominated me or asked me to be part of the IRB group, and I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And she was like, calm down, calm down. You could do it. And I, I did it. I passed all the parts of the test. And it's one of the best things I've ever done. I, I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about my own brain injury. And uh, it's been good. And I know we, yeah, I know we benefit from having, having that comfort that we know that our research uh, protocols are being reviewed before going out to research participants by people who um, may be part of our participant population. So we, we appreciate that that role and um, it's good to have those checks and balances in play. You also both serve on our uh, Traumatic Brain Injury Advisory Board, is that right? That is correct, yes. We're happy to participate in those meetings and share our opinions on items related to research conferences, newsletters, and all other information that's out there to assist people impacted by brain injury. Yeah, so I think all told, we've had quite a huge volunteer presence at Kessler Foundation, particularly in shaping how we do our brain injury research from vetting the studies to vetting the overall way that we conduct research and how we outreach to our community, and then also to being part of our research studies. When we heard that you were being awarded the Volunteer Service Champions Award through BIANJ, we were we were not surprised in the least. It couldn't go to two more deserving people. And also, I must note for the posterity of the podcast that uh, beyond your volunteerism, of course, uh, Jane, you are famous for your <laughs> your lemon bread that you never failed to bring into us at Kessler Foundation whenever you do stop by. So it really is like you're getting double volunteer service every time you do come by for a meeting. So we absolutely appreciate that as well. You're very welcome. If you ever want a lemon cake, just let me know. I just wanted to mention that I'm a dental hygienist and a few months after my brain injury, I realized at that point I could not go back to work. I had broken my wrist. So one of my case managers said, well, what are you going to do when you're discharged from CRP program. And I had talked to uh, the woman that was doing uh, occupational therapy on my wrist every morning. And she said, why don't you make Lucy, my Shetland sheepdog, into a therapy dog? So that was my big push of what to do after I left CRP. Because you, you, you literally leave CRP and you're just, that has become your new group and you're let I, I remember the day I found out that my insurance had stopped and I remember driving away saying now what what do I do now that would be a big loss after you've created those bonds yeah. and found that support yeah not, not knowing that I would I would eventually go back for other things but 
Um, so probably about a year and a half later, because you, you know about cognitive fatigue, it just so mm-hmm. overwhelming. But we did, um, Lucy became a bright and beautiful therapy dog. Wow. Kessler in, in East Orange did have a ther- did have therapy dogs come at night. I don't remember them, but I I wanted Lucy to come during the day when the patients were having therapy because I I remember how difficult it was and this way I could just walk around with Lucy. You need a bright spot. As a dog lover myself, I can understand that that would be really a bright spot for someone's day and, and give them some motivation to, to keep going and just a little bit of positive energy. Yeah. So even your dogs are volunteers is, is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always had like a little outfit on her, you know, something around her neck for the holidays, a Christmas thing or whatever. And uh, the therapists themselves would say, can I touch her? I mean, she obviously she wasn't a companion dog. Can I touch her? And I said, sure, she's, she's here for everybody. And after East Orange closed, um, she went to West Orange. We both went to West Orange and there, there was a picture. They, they did hang a picture of her up on, uh, when you come into West Orange and, I was proud that Lucy was Lucy was West Orange's first therapy dog. She's probably touched many patients' lives the way that that you have probably have benefited from that as well. Yeah. And um, definitely, and it's nice to be able to to share that share that um, that gifts with yeah. with other people. I would take her around to patients and. I, you know, I would see them upset and they weren't speaking. And I would, I would, I would say, oh, I have a brain injury. I was here. This is a great place to be. And this is Lucy. And there was one day where the therapist came over and said to the patient, what is the dog's name? And the patient said, Lucy. Mm-hmm. And the therapist looked at, me, <laughs> looked at me and said, that's the first word this patient has said since they were admitted. Oh my goodness. So I started crying, but that's, that's normal. (laughs) Oh, of course. Yeah. You're going to have to be crying over here too. But that's, that shows how, how those sorts of little things can really change someone's, change someone's life, change their rehabilitation and and get them. If that was the breakthrough that was needed, then she was able to give that to them and, and you through her. Yep. Yeah, it gave us both a purpose. So that that was a good time. I just wanted to know what what sort of advice do you have for people with brain injury, particularly during this challenging time? How have you been getting through and and coping with the stress of the pandemic or what are some some words of wisdom that you might have for the community in general? I would say for the survivors and even the caregivers don't be hard on yourself. Be gentle to yourself. I am on Facebook and also YouTube, and I've been reading a lot of things that people are doing. They're learning how to speak French during this time. They're they're becoming gourmet chefs. They're they're tightening their, their abs. To me, this is like, oh no, I can't do it. It's too much for me. I, it's just 
this should be a time to just rest and, and take care of ourselves. Listen to our medical physicians. Don't watch the news that much. Learn your social distancing. Call a friend on a phone, on the phone. Don't text them. Just call them and talk to them. Think about memories, good memories. So really appreciate what you have. Sounds like you've been spending a lot of time kind of getting back to basics and going through what's important. Exactly. I wanted to thank you both for uh, sharing your experience with us. And, um, and again, congratulations on the award. And um, we're incredibly proud of both of you for going through this experience and giving back to the community with, uh, with such courage and being a model for, for those survivors and their caregivers. So thank you for, for that. And, and thank you for talking with us today. Thank you also. And you're very welcome, Erica. Be sure and check out Jane and Joe's Volunteer Service Champions and Acceptance videos, TBI Consumer Resources, and Research Study Opportunities by clicking on the links in the program notes of this podcast. Tuned into our podcast series lately? Join our listeners in 90 countries who enjoy learning about the work of Kessler Foundation. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on Wednesday, April 29th, 2020, remotely, and was edited and produced by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation.